Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flyworld Nation community, go to flyworldnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. model is called the four stages of validation. It's about organizing. So the four stages is just a model to sequence, get you started. You have to start by validating first the problem. What problem are we actually solving? Does anyone have that problem? Then as you start to learn that, you have to start validating the solution before you build anything, meaning what is the planned solution? Does the customer actually see any value in what you think would solve that problem for them? Then you get into product validation. That's let's build something that can, in some hodgepodge rough version, actually solve the problem. It's got to deliver the most essential part of the value proposition in the real world of the customer. And that's where really the rubber starts to hit the road around questions of delivery, but also usage. Customers will say they want something and you give it to them and they drop it like a hot potato. Then lastly, the business validation. What is the true size of the market? What are the margins? What's the unit economics? What's the path to profit? What's the ultimate upside scale potential? Is this worth pursuing for a company of our size? But you have to do it in the right order. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, David Rogers, the world's leading expert on digital transformation. He's also a member of the faculty at Columbia Business School and the author of five books. His landmark bestseller, The Digital Transformation Playbook, was the first book on digital transformation and put the topic on the map. David defined the discipline by arguing that digital transformation is not about the technology, it's about strategy, leadership, and new ways of thinking. It's time to acknowledge our sponsor, Flywheel Nation. Flywheel Nation is a community crafted for those who dare to strive for more. If you're looking to turbocharge your business growth, then Flywheel Nation is your destination. You'll gain exclusive access to resources and wisdom shared by high-impact achievers, fostering innovation and driving success. Now, are you ready for a growth spurt? Then secure your spot in Flywheel Nation today. Join us at innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel. In our conversation today, David shares valuable insights and strategies for organizations seeking to thrive in the digital age. Here are three key takeaways from our discussion. Firstly, the key to a successful digital transformation is a mindset shift towards problem solving and value creation, focusing on outcomes and customer needs. Secondly, 
Companies should pair external knowledge with internal understanding to identify their right to win, in other words, their unique point of difference, and pursue new ventures as a result. And thirdly, establishing a shared vision, aligning goals, and empowering employees to take ownership are all critical for successful digital transformation at every level of the organization. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from David Rogers. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from New York in the USA, David Rogers, who's the world's leading expert on digital transformation. He's a member of the faculty of Columbia Business School, and he's the author of five books, including his most recent, which will publish just before we air this episode uh, on September the 5th, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, The Digital Transformation Roadmap. So welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, David. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thanks so much, Jürgen. It's, uh, it's a privilege and honor and really looking forward to being part of the, uh, the show, having enjoyed uh, uh, several of your episodes, as well as getting to know you uh, in advance of today's uh, conversation. So thank you for having me on. Wonderful. And the Digital Transformation Roadmap outlines a blueprint for transformation, and it kind of follows on from one of your previous books, in particular, the Digital Transformation Playbook, which was published six years ago where I was fascinated um, in reading reading through some of the highlights from that. that it, one of the key points for me, and you emphasize this quite a lot, is that digital transformation isn't just about the technology and coming up with new products and innovations, um, but it's about strategy, mindset, and leadership, which I found yeah. really fascinating and reflecting back on some of my experience um, it says yeah ding 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 <laughs> yeah yeah well that that that's great to hear yeah that was one of the this kind of the, the key themes and focus of, of my last book um, I really wasn't quite expecting that saying digital transformation is not about technology uh, would be taken as such a sort of eye-opening, almost sort of provocative statement. I just kind of wrote it in the first you know, <laughs> preface of the book. I was like, just kind of, you know, you write the preface at the end, you write the whole book and then you're like, oh, what do I just sort of, what's this book about? And I write a few paragraphs and, and everyone seemed to really sort of hone in on that. And I guess I realized that that was a real mis common misconception, this idea that this is sort of a technology project. Mm -hmm. um, really digital transformation is is about achieving business results. It's about driving growth. It's about creating an organization that is going to be able to uh, succeed and thrive in the digital environment that is moving so quickly and sort of continuously accelerating. So the technology is, 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 uh, is the accelerant. Um, so it is, it is in some ways, you could say, the reason we have to continuously transform. Um, to be more specific, it's, it's the adoption of technologies. There are some technologies that appear and they look really amazing on paper and actually they don't have that big an impact. So yeah. it's the sort of adoption of how technologies do get adopted by people and organizations and systems and how really the really powerful ones, it's not a technology by itself. It's the ones that catalyze and sort of spur on a lot of more follow-on technologies. Like that's why the smartphone was so impactful was not just it as itself, 
uh, as a technology, but how it led to and sort of made possible so many other uh, technological advances and you know, business models and so forth. So that's like, that's the, this driving force that we're responding to. But what do we need to do about it, which is what mm-hmm. digital transformation is about, is primarily not technology, right? Yeah, of yeah. course, whatever strategy you set on and, 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 and products you're developing and business, there's going to be technology in the execution of it. Uh, absolutely. But that is not the hard part. That's, that's what I, I learned early on and have just continued to learn in, in, in the years since that book came out, which is really um, kind of what led me to the writing of the Digital Transformation Roadmap was finding sort of what happens when you try to make that shift in strategy and in mindset and leadership in an established organization and, and what kind of barriers tend to come up mm-hmm. uh, and how can we address those and surmount them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's fascinating because I've been reflecting back a lot recently and this comes back to what you've just been saying in terms of mindset and leadership and and our openness to change um, rather than just the technology itself. I've been reflecting yeah. a lot with all this, um, these large language models, the chat GPT, right. the, the big um, transformation, if you like, that's happening right now before our very eyes. And there's a lot of that that reminds me of the very early days of the internet. And mm. in those very early days of the internet, there were a lot of people. I was one of the ones that said, whoa, wow, this is cool. And gee, you can do a lot of things here and jumped in head first and tried to figure stuff out and uh, ran up against barriers very quickly, but saw the possibilities. Yeah. And there were so many people saying, oh, this is never going to take off or, you know, this is um, why would you even waste your time on this? And even right. five years in, um, you know, we had our local politicians saying, why do we need to cable up um, suburbs yeah. to the, why do we need to lay fiber <laughs> yeah. cables to the home? Because <laughs> all people want to do is watch videos. They can do that on TV. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. and there's, and now finally, <laughs> people are sort of, finally, I think most people have embraced that the internet is part of our everyday life. Yes. Um, so yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of that. And coming back to what you said, it, it's, not about the technology, is it? It's about the mindset, and the mindset doesn't seem to have changed at all now that we're facing this next next innovation, if you like. Change is very hard for for humans individually. Um, it, it is some humans have an incredible, I would say, a remarkable capacity for change. I strongly disagree mm. with people who just say to say flat out change is hard, or people yeah. don't like to change. People are incredibly capable of change, um, but it isn't. It isn't. Easy. Uh, uh, so you really have to be aware of, um, in terms of your own personal growth, like how do you stay open? What are the things that will allow you to change and grow in a positive fashion um, over time and through experience? And the same thing is true to organizations. Um, and organizations, particularly how we have built them um, at scale in the industrial era, in the 20th century. Um, was a pretty good sort of compromise or workable approach to sort of maximizing utility and efficiency and control um, in large systems and organizations in that era. But the approach we developed then for organizations really doesn't work now. It does not, it has to be adapted, it has to become more flexible because it just can't um, respond. It, 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 they were all designed to sort of sacrifice a great deal of flexibility uh, in order to gain uh, as much sort of reliability 
as possible. And that made sense in that era and does not today. So it's a big shift. It's shift for yeah. everyone individually, and it's a real shift for established organizations. Yeah, well, with, within an organization, I mean, I'm curious um, as to your view on this. The, within an organization, there's a whole range of individuals that see these tools that come up, this sort of digital tools that come up from time to time and new ideas that spring up and new ideas that sparks in their mind from what they see and what they read. Mm. Um, and then there are others that kind of stand in the way of them implementing some change based on yeah. some ideas that they, they then have. Um, in terms of these big digital transformations, uh, how do you see the, I mean, I know you've got kind of some barriers listed in, in the roadmap, so maybe you could talk to us yeah. about that, but how do you see um, individuals within that organisation successfully kind of convincing their peers who yeah. maybe are not as open to change to yeah, uh, explore these things? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. So, so uh, as you said, you know, this is really hard. Um, you know, at this point, everyone, you know, it's not where things were several years ago when I would enter a company or give a talk at a conference and I'd have to know going into the room that there were some people who sort of didn't believe or were, weren't sure that their organization really had to transform uh, for the digital era. That's, well, there's some, you know, media industries or, you know, I don't know, consumer services or certain companies have to change, but we're just going to kind of stick to our, you know, we're a telecom, we're a... <laughs> industrial manufacturer, we're an energy, you know, uh, services company, why would we need to change, right? Nobody really has that mindset anymore. So everyone recognizes that this has touched every corner of every industry, and it is speeding up, not slowing down. But we see this incredible failure rate, you know, typically measured in most surveys, 70%, even 80% uh, of organizations failing to achieve, you know, positive results, what they hope for from their transformation efforts. And this is really hard because as organizations become more complex, it becomes harder for them to change. So it's not just about individuals. Organizations themselves, the same individuals, if they are in a business or, or you know, public sector, whatever it is, an organization that's, you know, a thousand people, maybe 500 people, has a single line of business, if you will. So a single kind of product or market they're serving, single geography. If they are able to figure out where the strategic opportunity lies, what's shifting in terms of the competitive landscape, how customer needs are, are, are evolving and how we need to adapt our value proposition, this kind of thinking and, and to figure out then how to sort of pull together the right tools, technologies to, to sort of uh, uh, capitalize on and solve those problems. It's relatively doable. <laughs> but you put those same people, Jürgen, in an organization that is 50,000 people. That is multiple different lines of business that serve different markets. It's operating in a dozen countries or more countries. And it is going to be incredibly hard for them to make that same kind of change. So there's this, there's this dynamic of organizational complexity that we have to, have to bear in mind. So you asked about the five barriers. Um, so this was kind of the work of my research for the last few years was trying to understand, well, what is behind this 70%, we'll call it failure rate? Um, which to me, I'm, I'm a half, I'm a glass half full kind of uh, optimistic thinker. You know, when I hear those surveys, I think, wow, that's great. 
We've got 30% of companies that have succeeded. That's a large cohort we can really learn from. So that's been my research is digging in on both sides of the ledger, so to speak, and trying to figure out what are the patterns? What's what's the difference? Where do people get hung up? Where do organizations get hung up? Um, and so the five barriers I found, this is, this is really uh, a root cause analysis. So lots of things can go wrong on the surface, but what is the root cause? And what I found was five things um, that organizations seem to trip themselves up on one or more of these. The first is um, uh, no shared vision. So companies will announce that they're going to embark on a great digital transformation. And yet, you know, I'll talk to the CEO and they'll tell me, they'll confess, they'll say, look, if you ask three people in this company, what digital transformation means for us? Yeah, you'll get three different answers. <laughs> so we have these very vague kind of generic kind of language about, oh, we're going to become a digital first company or future-proof our business or these things that don't really mean anything. And that's a real barrier to, to driving any kind of change, that lack of alignment. Uh, the second barrier I see is no real discipline in strategic priorities. Um, once you start getting into this and you start learning about all these technologies and you start looking at business models and innovations across other industries and start to see where you might go and what you might do, you will soon have far many, too many uh, opportunities you could consider pursuing. Now, you won't know which ones will work, but that you could consider pursuing or testing than you could ever do. And so it is so imperative that we link this process of what's really corporate innovation, if you will, and uh, pursuit of growth to a strategic process. So innovation has to be tethered to strategy. And so we need to be constantly defining what are the most important uh, opportunities for us, our business, our particular maybe team or, or, or function, business unit within the company to be focusing on when we think about digital and, and, and growth opportunities and, and, and threats for us right now at this point. Um, and really being willing to say no to a lot of things so that we can really say yes and deliver uh, uh, on a few things that, that matter the most. Uh, third barrier is um, really no instilled ingrained habits of experimentation. So that's been a big topic of my work for, for many years is what do we mean by uh, innovating through rapid experimentation? What does that look like as a process? And we've got a lot of learning at this point from you know, lean startup and agile software development, design thinking, product management, and great thinkers like Steve Blank and Rita McGrath and others. Um, but what does that look like in practice? And how do we actually make that work in established businesses, right? And the problem is most organizations don't have a clue. They're still stuck in, they're looking at a strategic opportunity in a fast changing environment, tremendous uncertainty. They are completely blind to the level of uncertainty they're facing. And so they try to go in headfirst with planning, planning, planning. Show me the benchmarks. Give me the best practices. Uh, you know, mm. give me the uh, the third party data on you know what we should do. Give me the business case. What's going to happen year one, year two, year three from this uh, new venture that no one's done before? Yeah. Uh, the fourth barrier is a lack of flexibility in governance, and so you've got established businesses that are are willing to uh, a, a game for having at least some folks in the organization uh, pursue new growth opportunities, new innovations. Um, but they're trying to manage it all with the same uh, BAU, business as usual uh, mm -hmm. management process and governance that had, they have evolved over the years for the core business, which is much better known and sort of well established. And so you run into just these ridiculous situations where 
you know, uh, the smallest uh, innovation investment has to wait for the annual budgeting cycle. You've got mm-hmm. trying to run a two-week test pilot with a startup and you have to get an approval signed off that takes six months from the procurement <laughs> division, you know. Uh, it's so common. It's uh, And then the last barrier is a real uh, uh, companies that are trying to transform, it, but it's a no growth in their what I would call capabilities. So that, that encompasses a few key things. You know, they're trying to transform, but their technology is stuck with technical debt and with legacy systems that they aren't willing to address. Their talent is the same talent they acquired and trained for a different era, and they're not investing seriously in developing that talent for the future. And the culture. The culture is a mismatch. It's, it's, it was fit for a different environment, but you've got so many established businesses, a culture that is very top-down, it is very risk-averse, it is very siloed, it is very planning-oriented. And so if that's kind of the default way that everyone sort of thinks and operates inside the organization, even when you do have some people who don't fit that mold, it's going to be very hard for them to do their best work because there's this culture that they're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I I was curious, or I am curious, that you talk about the strategy and no kind of strategic approach to the digital transformation. Yeah, uh, one of the things that occurs to me, and just reflecting back on some of my experiences <laughs> in the corporate world, is there's yeah. there's either well, there's kind of two things. There's there's either no strategy at all, and somebody yeah. comes up, oh. Let's do digital transformation. Sounds like a cool thing to do. Everybody else is yeah. doing it, and and we and you got a laundry list of like shopping a, list of technologies. Yeah, well, we yeah, need that's cloud, right. And we need some large language yeah, models. Yeah. We need and some of this. It's all this activity, um, or there's there's the other thing. There's there's a strategy over here for uh, this is our business model. This is our strategy. Yeah. These are the key initiatives we're doing for one, three, and five years, um, yeah. and let's ignore all this other stuff so there's kind of those two extremes and yeah. and it seems to me that the ideal thing would be okay here's our one three five year strategy here are the opportunities here's some stuff there here's some challenges we're facing um here's some new stuff that's happening is there a fit for some of this stuff somewhere here and if there is how do we bring that all together and bring it into that strategy and how do we um, strategically implement that, which then raises the question of things like, do we have the right mm-hmm. know-how? Do we have the right. right people? Do we have the right organizational structure? And, yeah. and some of those other uh, barriers that you raised. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's why it's, it's, it's a really great point. You know, you first have to figure out what you're trying to achieve before you figure out, you know, do we have the right people, the right talent, the right technology yeah. in place and so forth. And so many companies I see doing that backwards. So that's why, you know, I lay out the barriers in a specific order and, and the roadmap. The roadmap is just my framework for how the organizations that are succeeding, what do they do to address? Because all of these five barriers are uh, sort of uh, surmountable. They can all be hmm. solved if you know what they are and you, and you you know, reach out to the kind of tools and and models that are out there to, to solve each of these. So, but you can't start with the capabilities and say, oh, we're going to build you know, all of our technology stack is going to be rebuilt and we're going to hire a bunch of people and we're not sure what for. We'll figure that out later. Yeah. It's completely backwards. Yeah. Yeah, well, can, um, I know you've you've written up some case studies in, in the book. Can you give us yeah. maybe one or two examples of companies that have successfully done this and, and what some of the key factors were that 
um, they implemented that made them successful? Yeah, um, I mean, I'll give a couple examples. So, uh, um, you know, one is one of the points I often try to stress is, well, I'll start with vision because that's the first step of the roadmap. You really need to uh, have for any real change to happen in an established organization, you need to have a, a vision that is both uh, shared by everyone in the organization, right? Not that problem. If you ask three people, you get three different <laughs> answers. Uh, and the other is unique. It has to be particular to your organization. It's not enough to sort of have your vision of future, the digital future to just sort of be a bunch of generic case studies of, you know, well, here's what happened to Blockbuster and Amazon this. And hmm. What about you, right? If you're an Indonesian uh, marketing services firm, or if you're a Dutch industrial manufacturer, <laughs> or you know, depends on what what is happening in your world. So hmm. that's that's the first piece of what I call shared vision is having that future landscape, but it's what is going on, a really a clear common shared understanding of what's going on in our particular business or organization. Second, you have to have what I call a right to win. So you have to know why us, right? So if you have this vision of sort of where our industry is going, or our world, or our context for our particular business, and, and then you think, okay, here's the role we want to play. Uh, here's the, the, the position we hope to occupy, sort of classic sort of strategic thinking. Why you, right? There has to be some clear understanding of what are your unique advantages, your unique capabilities uh, uh, as an organization. Um, because if you don't root strategy in that, you can come up with a lot of interesting, good uh, opportunities. But if you don't have a unique reason to a right to win, uh, it's going to be incredibly hard for you to execute and succeed. Because uh, if you are really right and you've identified an important opportunity, uh, someone else is going to go after it uh, uh, at the same time or right after you. And that's how you, you, know, you can get killed by a fast follower if you don't understand that. So you've got to know that right to win. Um, and then, and this is a big part of motivating people. There's sort of two kinds of motivation that are critical to that shared vision. The first is um, it's about what impact are you trying to achieve, right? So, uh, so a couple examples, you know, Ford Motors has been guided for several years now with a very clear uh, um, vision of the impact that the company as a whole is trying to achieve. And that's to really sort of solve two big uh, uh, high order problems, to solve the mobility needs and the environmental needs at the same time of a growing urbanizing planet. Right. Mm -hmm. And to do that with connected cars and transportation systems. So really sort of shifting that lens. We're not just a car manufacturer. Yes, that's our core business and our heritage, but it's really about solving problems around mobility. Um, and that may involve things in addition to uh, uh, manufacturing vehicles and designing them. So they have a very clear vision of that impact there. What problem are they trying to solve? You know, I, I sometimes ask, pose this to, you know, CEOs or, or boards as, you know, why would the world miss you? if you were to go away as a business, right? Some companies have a real hard time answering that question, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, but you've got to know that. MasterCard is very focused on you know, redefining. They're not just a credit card company. They're really, if you look at everything they're trying to do as they really expand into new areas, it is all under this idea of how do we both power and uh, enable secure commerce. So sort of power and protect commerce and transactions across any device and any platform in the system, uh, uh, in the commercial uh, uh, sphere, in the digital era. 
Um, and that's a really big remit, which they have a very particular set of incredibly unique data they have, the incredible network of both consumer network and business network and banking, you know, financial services, mm -hmm. industry partner network that they have gives them some real right to win in that space. Um, and it doesn't have to be about changing the world. Domino's Pizza has done a phenomenal job and really their guiding vision has been we want to create the ultimate, you know, pizza delivery experience for the digital, cons digitally connected consumer. Um, mm. but having that sense of what are we trying to achieve is so important to motivating your own employees. If you just come in and say, Hey, we're gonna, we gotta shave costs to, to hit our EBITDA or we've got to, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, do a stock buyback or something, <laughs> you know, this is how it's going to help our shareholders. That doesn't really motivate people who mm. you're asking to like change their job and like develop new skills and work in ways that they aren't used to, right? They've got to have that, that, that motivation. But there's one other kind of motivation they have to, that you need to have as part of this vision. And that's what I call a business theory. Cause you also have to talk to the investors, right? You got to talk to your yeah. CFO. You got to talk to your, Anyone who has PL responsibility, they are not going to be on board if this is all about, oh, I don't know, we're going to change the world and solve big problems and, and so forth. And they're like, yeah, okay, is this going to crash my financial numbers? You know, I'm accountable for these things. Yeah. So that's what I call a business theory. It's a causal theory. It's not a business case where you presume falsely that you sort of know what's going to happen over time at different intervals, but it's a theory about how, what are the value drivers here? If we make certain kinds of investments, for our particular business and the particular investments we're going to make, how do we think that's going to capture value back? You know, a financial return. Is it going to increase revenue uh, per user? Is it going to expand us into new markets? Is it going to save on operating costs? Is it going to reduce uh, operating risks uh, to the business? Is, is it going to open up actually new business models that'll complement our existing ones? So these are the kinds of questions mm -hmm. you need to, to, to really look at. To develop that that what I call again a business theory, which is how if we do this, where do we again unique to our organization and our digital strategy and our digital transformation, where do we see this capturing value back for us? Yeah. If you do those four, the companies that do all four of those things right start off in so much a stronger position. They are actually able to then start thinking about things like these questions of strategy from a much better grounding. Uh, you're able to motivate people. Of course, it's not a magic wand. You know, not everyone is instantly going to be, you know, pushing everything forward, but you cannot do this all from the top. You've got to have this a vision so that, you know, as, as, um, it was Bill Ford Jr., the chairman of Ford talked about when you have, when everyone understands where you're headed, when everyone's aligned on that direction, that's when people can, that's when organizations can start to move quickly because everyone isn't waiting for this trickle down from above to tell them what they're supposed to do. They understand the goals and that's then they right. can start bringing ideas to the table. Everybody has a clear framework for, for making yeah. decisions within their own little, little within area, their right? sphere, within yeah, what yeah. their remit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the examples there are pretty clear and it strikes me as they're, they're really clear about what business are we truly in, which is yeah. like I know we had this conversation when we first met and my, yeah, yeah. my history back in my early days uh, yeah. in the corporate world with ACFA and um, I, I, kept, I keep reflecting back on this and I thought, mm -hmm. well, in those days and it's the same, was the same at Kodak, I'm guessing the, 
they thought they were in the business of providing photographic film and photographic paper to photographers. Right. But mm -hmm. um, really, if you chunk that up, and this is what, you know, those examples you gave of Ford and MasterCard, they've, they've kind of chunked that up and said, well, what business are we really in? And in the case of the photography business, I, I see that as we, we should have said that we're in the business of helping people capture memories. And then mm -hmm. you look at well, how what's what other innovations are around that help people capture memories, and are they a threat or an opportunity, or both? And how do we deal with them? What's our strategy to deal with those? What's our strategy to evolve from where we currently are? It's one of the classic challenges for established organizations. You know, uh, um, uh, success breeds not just complacency, but it also breeds. Um, you know what Ted Levitt famously described as uh, myopia. Marketing myopia was the name of his article. I would call it more broadly strategic myopia. He was writing yeah. for marketers, but applies to everyone. It's like the more successful an organization is, it's a nat you can't overcome it, but you have to consciously fight against the natural tendency that as you are successful over time, you will start to perceive your future through the lens of the things you have done, the products that you have sold, the, the organizational structure that you have built and you think that's who you are and what you should be in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and that is in a changing dynamic world, a recipe for obsolescence. Um, the only companies that, that survive in a truly dynamic environment are those who focus exactly as you said on outcomes, focus on customer needs, mm -hmm. say, what have we achieved? Why did we build these cameras or this film photographic film paper or you know whatever the equivalent is in, in your industry um that that's a process i call zooming out is is stepping back from a sort of a really simple process looking at okay what have we what have we done well um and instead of just defining it in terms of products and services and industries and things like that uh, and kind of operating models, defining it in terms of outcomes, defining it in terms of problems you've solved. And so this is really the problem we've solved. This is the value we've created for the world. This is the need that we have been really good at meeting. And then reorienting and saying, well, that's what we're all about. And that shift in mindset makes it much easier to suddenly open up that aperture and start mm -hmm. to see a lot of other opportunities. Now, you may not pursue all of them, right? Ford says, I'm a mobility company. Do they, mm -hmm. as one of my, one executive asked me, does that mean they should make airplanes and compete yeah, with yeah. Boeing? Not necessarily, right? You do then need to pair that with this, mm -hmm. what's your right to win, right? Does Ford have a right to win in, in air, air, you know, aerospace and building airplanes? Probably not, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so you've got to have both of those, but it's like shifting the focus to the problems you're solving or the value you're creating and then pairing that with a real deep. And so that's all about the customer. It's all about external knowledge, but you've got to pair that with a real honest internal knowledge of what is unique about us. What makes us tick? What do we do differently and uh, in some ways better than others that can help us decide, okay, what new problems could we really solve or what new things could we bring to the world better than others could? that will help to create even more value in this area. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's the critical question, isn't it? What what new things can we bring that that um, is different or solves a different problem? Because if you take that example yeah. of Ford and say, well, 
let's get into aircraft. Well, hang on, we've got a lot of catching up to do there because there's yeah. lots, of, lots of people in that game and they've yeah. got a huge head start on us. Whereas if you talk about some, I don't know, some fancy new area that uh, suddenly there's there's this different transportation mode that, that's been developed that nobody has commercialized or nobody's really started, well, that's on the table. And, yeah, and I look at companies like, you know, not just digital native companies have been great at this, like Alibaba saying, look, mm. we're a retailer and suddenly they decide to go into payments. Well, that's a huge leap. Guess mm. what? They actually did have a right to win. It was a problem for their customers. Yeah. Uh, that was why they considered it. But then, you know, could they do it is a separate question. Well, they had massive amounts of data that were very relevant and they had this huge already installed base of customers. So they had a particular reason why they could say, you know what, maybe we are going to be the ones who are going to bring mobile payments you know, mm. to the Chinese market because it had already been done in Kenya and some other places. But I see this also with legacy companies. Walmart is not just really doing an impressive job of sort of rethinking uh, retail and how do you, you know, they know they're not their number one competitor is Amazon, but they're not going to beat Amazon at its own game. You know, it's not just, but they are at the same time thinking about how do we sort of reinvent our approach, create our own unique approach to what I call omni-channel, you know, retail and commerce, combining the digital and physical channels in a way that takes advantage of their unique strengths, which among mm -hmm. other things, one of the most important unique assets of, of Walmart, if you talk to their leadership, is um, it's the proximity of their retail footprint to, mm -hmm. to, uh, to the customer. North American, 90% of Americans live within 10%, within 10 miles of a Walmart. So they're, they're doing a lot of thinking about the strategy in that sort of the core and, and expanded around it, things related to, to, to retail. But they're also looking at other things. They're looking, they're also looking really smartly at things like health clinics and, you know, basic financial services. Is there a model, and they've been doing having some success on both of those, where they take advantage of their physical retail mm. footprint to say, look, while well, we've already got customers in the door, and we have data on them, and we have, um, uh, you know, a brand reputation that they trust, and so forth, why not? Oh, hey, maybe we can provide, you know, a money center right in the store for these customers. Maybe we can provide certain, you know, basic primary care, urgent care kind of uh, uh, healthcare services. So. It's not just the digital natives, you know, the best of the legacy or established players are doing the same kind of thinking. And so absolutely, it can be done by anyone. Hmm. Excellent. All right. Well, um, I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, our innovation round. So we'll refer people to the book, The Digital Transformation Roadmap, Rebuild Your Organization for Continuous Change, which I love. I love the continuous change because even... Yeah. Even when you implement, <laughs> you get to the end of that roadmap, things are still changing, so you have to keep going. You just, it's just a wheel. It's an iterative yeah. cycle. You keep going. Yeah, there is no right. finish. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, um, we'll give people a link to where to get that later. Um, but sure I would like to move on to the buzz, which is our lightning round. Same five questions right. I ask of every guest. Um, and mm. the idea is you'll give us some short, snappy answers that mm. will trigger our listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. Okay. I'll All try right, my so best to be short. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weakness of mine. So. <laughs> Great, David. <laughs> so what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Uh, I'm gonna, so humility. 
assume that you know absolutely nothing <laughs> and curiosity, yeah. uh, being eager to start learning something. And lastly, fall in love with the problem, you know, stay flexible on the solution. Just get really passionate about the problem you're solving and be very open-minded about what might actually get you there. I, I don't know if that's one thing, but that's how I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they're all connected um, because yeah. the, hum yeah. the humility and not making assumptions that you actually know the answer, um, but be curious about, well, what else could it be? <laughs> if, if I've got something in mind, that could be the answer. What else could it be? <laughs> that gives you, that gives you the, the, permission or the uh, the confidence to be curious. Right? Yeah, if you're yeah. not curious, it's hard to be humble about how little you know, because then you just feel like you're stuck in a hole. Yeah, great. Well, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Uh, so I'm really proud of a model I developed working with a number of innovation teams over the last few years, and some standalone and others in big companies um, that's in the book. That uh, It's called, in the new book, the, the model is called the four stages of validation. Um, so I, I've been really pleased with how I've seen that play out. It's just, it's about organizing. Once you recognize all the things you don't know, you typically just have an incredibly long list of, of business model uh, hypotheses and things that you recognize you, you need to validate. I saw so many companies spinning their wheels. It's like, where do we get started? Even worse, I saw many, many that just started in the wrong order. So they said, well, first we need to find out what's the total addressable market and what's the profit margin. But you don't even know what you're building yet. Right? <laughs> or, well, first we just need to build a working prototype and get it in the hands of the customer and then we'll see how this works. It's like prototype for what? So the four stages is just a model to sequence, uh, get you started. You have to start by validating first the problem. Uh, what problem are we actually solving? Does anyone have that problem? Then as you start to learn that, uh, you have to start validating the solution before you build anything, meaning what is the planned solution? What do you, does the customer actually see any, any, uh, value in what you're, what you think would solve that problem for them? And then as you start to learn something about that, then you get into what I call product validation. That's about, okay, let's build something that can in some hodgepodge rough version actually solve the problem. It's got to deliver the most essential part of the value proposition in the real world of the customer. And that's where it really kind of the rubber starts to hit the road around questions of sort of delivery, but also usage. Customers will say they want something and you give it to them and they drop it like a hot potato. It's very common. And then lastly, the business validation. That's okay. What is the true size of the market? What is what are the margins? What's the unit economics? What's the path to profit? And and what's the ultimate upside scale potential? Is this worth pursuing for a big you know, company of our size, but come, you have to do it in the right order. If you, if you just, if you start at the end, it's a recipe for trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And also I, I, I like that order from another point of view as well. It's kind of like each step is more involved in terms of time investment and time hmm. to actually get the answer yeah. or to, to reach the end of that stage. Um, yeah. as well as um, yeah, you start with things you can learn very quickly if yeah, you yeah. if you know how to learn it right and the things that are really lots of different factors go into them you build your way up to, to, mm. to testing and learning those things because you got to mm. get there <laughs> great all right do you have a favorite resource you use most often um uh, resource um i, I don't know I'll, I'll, I'll point to another tool that's sort of related that I, I have also in the book. It's called the Problem Opportunity Matrix. I mean, it's kind of a mindset, which is looking at innovation, looking really at strategy in terms of these kind of two lenses. 
being able, I found it's really helpful to, of course, think about problems. It's such a powerful tool, a hmm. uh, powerful kind of point of view, but also thinking about what's an opportunity to do something very unexpected, right? How do we delight the customers? The old uh, VC kind of idea, are we selling painkillers or are we selling vitamins? Um, so being able to bring those two lenses together and also to not just focus on customer problems, but focus on delighting or solving problems for the customer, but also for the business. Hmm. Um, and that I found, so the, the matrix, it's something, it's a very simple tool that I, I, I've found is really useful for helping organizations to do two things. One is to just craft really clear problem, what I call problem opportunity statements. Uh, to guide your strategy based on knowing who the stakeholder is, defining the outcome you're trying to achieve, getting that right level of specificity, not too specific where you're assuming the solution, but not too broad that you're giving no direction to a team, and then framing it in a very open-ended way as a question. But the last thing is, and this is just kind of a bigger point, which I find so important, is strategy has to happen at every level of the organization. It can't be something that a special team goes off and does, like as a deliverable once a year. So that's the kind of whole point of doing this approach is to look at problems and opportunities for your team to solve for a division you know hr versus legal versus marketing uh for that'd be a function or a business unit uh or you know or for the whole enterprise at every level people should be going through this same process of strategy and strategy we need to sort of demystify and that's kind of really what i try to do in my my work with companies in my writing is to show how this is something that's really fun and exciting that empowers people when they get they're given the the pretty straightforward tools to to take it on themselves and use the knowledge they have of the part of the business that they are interfacing with every day and know better than anyone else. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's that's probably the big thing that helps keep things on track, right? Is is everybody has a shared understanding of strategy. And whether that applies to their own department or whether that applies across the board or whether that applies to delivery of a particular product or. Exactly. I mean, what that does is that gives you at the end of that process, it gives you outcomes to, to focus on. And then you say, okay, we've decided here's a few big opportunities or problems we're trying to solve right now. And then that gives you that shared, okay, what are we trying to achieve? Right. It's not a deliverable. It's not a bunch of steps we're supposed to take. It's not about activity. It's about outcomes. Hmm. And if everyone understands who's supposed to be working as a team, what the outcome is that they're trying to achieve, and you define that up front before you even know what you're doing. Uh, but if you can start with that and keep that uh, part of your conversation throughout, that's there are a few different things that are critical, but that's probably the most important uh, uh, element to keeping any kind of team on track. Hmm. Excellent. All right, and final question of the buzz, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? I think, one, be truly curious. I find a lot of people are afraid to be truly curious in their work uh, uh, environment. They think that's something for, I don't know, being personal and creative, your personal life or something. Um, be really curious in your work. Um, second, take accountability. Um, that's hard. And people often, large organizations give you a cushion that you, everyone can avoid accountability. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy to do that. So if you want to differentiate yourself to voluntarily take accountability for the things that you are trying to achieve, uh, and that means ultimately taking risks and not mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to 
take on a big risk for the business and risk other people's money or things. It means taking risks for yourself. Say, I'm going to put my neck out there. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to take accountability for the outcome and I'm going to be willing to try something that isn't just the absolute safest, surest bet. Um, if I really believe that it's important, it's, it's the right, it's an opportunity. It's the thing we should try or we should do. I think if you do that, those are not easy things to do and you will differentiate yourself because most people won't be doing that. <laughs> but you'll also differentiate yourself because you will achieve much, much more than those who don't, who don't take those steps. Yeah, I love it. And I guess the, particularly in the corporate world today, the safety net you referred to or the, the desire for people to be within that safety net kind of prevents them from taking those kind of risks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for getting us through the buzz round and a fantastic <laughs> conversation so far. Now, um, where can people find out more about the work you do and, of course, get a hold of any of your books, but most importantly, the one that has just launched when you're listening yeah. to this? Uh, well, I would urge uh, uh, anyone to who's interested in this topic and the things we've discussed to, to check out, to order the books, The Digital Transformation Roadmap. It's my latest book, um, and it's on Amazon and every other major bookseller, but I always uh, uh, like to direct folks there. Um, but I should also mention, you know, if, you, uh, if you're not sure yet, you can get a free uh, cha- a sa- a sample chapter of the book uh, just by subscribing to my newsletter. And that's something I'm really excited about that I just, uh, you know, recently relaunched as I wrapped up the big project of writing the book, uh, sort of on hiatus. And I've relaunched on uh, using Substack as the platform, and I'm really excited about this. It's a free weekly newsletter, and it's an opportunity for me to engage with the audience around all these issues we've been talking about, Jurgen. And uh, anyone can sign up; it's free. It's uh, go to my website, which is davidrogers.digital. So not .com or .au or .any other country domain. It's David Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, uh, .digital. And you can sign up for the newsletter uh, right there and you'll right away, you'll get the chapter of the book as a sort of welcome thank you. And then you'll every week, you'll be getting uh, something uh, in the mail for me. And, and if you uh, if you find it interesting and uh, uh, please send me your questions or feedback or thoughts, and uh, I'll love to look forward to hearing from you. Excellent. And of course, we'll have links to the book and to that website on um, in the show notes. Um, I, th- I think it's the first time I've come across a .digital domain <laughs> extension. <laughs> so, so that's new. <laughs> I saw that one. I said, "Ah, oh, I think I think it's time to update my my URL." Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I had good fit I, for me. <laughs> I found um, I got a promotional one from one of the domain registrars a little while back that said, "We now have Buzz extension." B B U Z Z, and I said, "Well, my yeah, podcast is called the Nova Buzz, so I'm going to exactly. get a Nova dot Buzz." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buzz, yeah, yeah, good fit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your insights so generously with us today, David. This has been a fabulous absolutely. conversation, and certainly there's a lot more to explore in terms of digital transformation and transformation of in other areas, whether it's a digital innovation or other innovations that we've talked mm-hmm. about today. And, and certainly there's lots of great examples in the book. So I uh, highly recommend people check that out. And thanks for sharing some of those um, stories with us today and the insights Absolutely. you shared. 
Well, thank you, Jurgen. It's it's been a real pleasure for me, uh, and and just great to be part of the show and and to be able to have this conversation with you. Excellent. Thanks, David. Stay in touch, please. I will. You too. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and informative conversation with David and took something away from his episode, most importantly. As you've listened, think about the importance of mindset and leadership in relation to openness to change. And there are parallels between the current transformation brought by language models like ChatGPT and the early days of the internet. So recognise that mindset rather than technology itself, is the key to embracing and adapting to changes. And shift your mindset, if you're not already focused in that direction, shift it towards problem solving and value creation, because that will open up opportunities for innovation. David's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash David Rogers. That is D-A-V-I-D-R-O-G-E-R-S. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash David Rogers. There you'll also find contact information for getting in touch with David, as well as links to his website, his books, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. I'm so grateful you're still listening and savoured this conversation. Now, please pay it forward by sharing it with someone who would also appreciate it. And ensure you get the exclusive episode bookmark token from enovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For no more than the price of a latte, you can keep a permanent record of the show to revisit at any time you need to. Half of the revenue from the token goes straight to David as our guest, with the remainder helping to sustain this show. It is an exceptional way to let David know that his episode resonated with you. David suggested that we have a conversation with Oded Netzer, author of Decisions Over Decimals, and with Sheena Iyengar, author of Think Bigger, on future InnovaBuzz podcast episodes. So Oded and Sheena, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of David Rogers. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community, where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engage in meaningful conversations, and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywheel Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jurgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.